Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. Now here is Pastor Scott Floyer. I'm excited about this. I'm excited about being here. I hope you are too. But I want you to realize that we're going to get a little rough this morning. Just want you to know I'm going to be up front and you know, let you know. Hey, if this is your first time here, we are so glad you're here. Um, we want you to be here. We want you to hear what's going on. We want you to just, it's just, I'm, can you tell? I'm excited. I'm losing my mind. But this is the last uh, message in our series called Church with a View. And as we've been going through that, we've been looking at different things about the church and what God has for us and what God's called us to do and how we're supposed to live and, and how we're supposed to reach out into the world and, and be, the, be the church that he wants us to be. And so today we're talking about potential. We're talking about what is the potential of a church. Because what I want you to really realize is the church is not this building. This church is not about a pastor. The church is you. The church is you. The church is God's people coming together and being used by God to reach a world that so desperately needs him. I don't know about you, but I like to look at different buildings. I like going down to San Francisco and looking at the different buildings. And, and as I plan to go and start a church in Colorado, I, I look at buildings there. And sometimes the buildings are encased with chain link. Have you ever got up to the chain link and went, oh man, that building's got potential. There's some cool things. Now, if you don't do that, I'm sorry. I'll pray for you. But it's one of those deals where that's what I do. I like to see that. My wife thinks I'm nuts. I'm like, look at that building. You could turn that in. And, like in the video, I don't know if you saw in the video, there's that um, uh, car dealership in Vallejo that's empty. That would be a flipping awesome church. I drive by there and I'm like, that's a church. That's cool. We can fill up people right off the highway and there's lots of parking because there's no cars anymore. Right? I was just like, yeah. My wife's like, you got problems, dude. But you know what I realize is this, is God looks at the church buildings we're in and he looks through the walls and he looks at you and he says man they got potential they got potential see it happened in the old testament where where god had an encounter with a man i should say a man had an encounter with god and it wrecked him this week as we talk through this i want you to realize that i've prayed through this i've walked through this and it wrecked me it wrecked me because i thought about who i am when it comes to God. So I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the book of Isaiah. If you have one of the Bibles on the uh, chairs there, it's page 680. But it's in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, that Isaiah has an encounter with God. And this encounter with God totally wrecks him, shakes him up, changes things. And it says this, in the year uh, King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Hovering around him were mighty seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with the remaining two they flew. And in a great chorus they sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The glorious singing shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire sanctuary was filled with smoke. See, God had his own haze machine. Some of you have been talking about the haze and stuff. See, God, he started that, so be quiet. So it goes on. It says, then, then Isaiah has this moment where it says, then I said, my destruction is sealed, for I am a sinful man and a member of a sinful race. 
Yet I've seen the king, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew over to the altar and picked up a burning coal with a pair of tongues, and he touched my lips with it, and he said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. See, Isaiah had an encounter with an almighty, powerful God. And as he did, he was wrecked because he realized who he was. He said, I'm a sinful man from a sinful race. See, that's where we've got to realize we are jacked up people. We are a mess. And unfortunately, some people believe that Christianity is a religion that says, oh man, everybody out there is so bad. They're evil people. When we should be going, everybody in this room is so bad. We're evil people. And if you don't think that, (laughs) now realize that you're a liar. See, what I've chosen to do this morning is to place some chairs up here because I believe I believe each and every one of us is sitting in one of these chairs and actually you are because it's the same chairs that you're sitting in right now and as we sift through this as we walk through this encounter with God I want you to realize no matter what you say no matter what you think you are in one of these chairs and if you want to argue then argue with God if you send me an email I won't read it I'm just going to be honest. That offended me. So sorry. Too bad. Don't care. Okay, see? I mean, I I think if the church was more worried about people out the side and doing what God's called them to instead of whining, we'd be doing a lot better. Okay? So this is the thing. This is what I want you to realize. Each chair has a name, and I'm going to walk through these, and we're going to take steps from them. So the first chair we're going to look at is this. This is the chair. If you're sitting in this chair, you're a person that's condemned. You're a person that's condemned. Now, some of you are going, oh, that's mean. Why why would you say someone's condemned? Because God said it. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are condemned to die and to go to hell. Some of you are sitting there, well, I don't like that. (laughs) Go to God. Argue with Him. But in the Bible, it's very specific. In John 5, 24, it says, I assure you, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. It's Jesus They will never be what? Condemned in their sins. But they have already passed from death into life. See, the person that is sitting in this chair is the person that thinks they're a good person. I'm a good person. I don't do anything wrong. I I follow the Ten Commandments. You know, I love it when someone says that because then my question is, okay, you follow the Ten Commandments. Could you please name them? Because most of them go, um, um, don't do drugs, wear your seatbelt. You know, I'm, you know, they don't know what they are. They don't know what they are. You know, I'm a good person. Do you know the, the realization for us is the fulcrum for our, our justice system is based on the Ten Commandments. We had all this arguing about whether or not the Ten Commandments should be in the courtrooms and yada, yada. That's, it shouldn't matter. It should be in our hearts. It should be at a place that we're learning. Now, this is the thing. If you read in Romans chapter 4, it says that the Ten Commandments are there to show us how messed up we are and to point us to Jesus. Because we can't follow the Ten Commandments. We're horrible at it. Some of you are going, oh, I disagree. I've never murdered anybody. Yeah, well, Jesus covered that one and he said, if you look at your brother with anger, then you've committed murder. I've never slept with my neighbor's wife. No, you haven't, but I bet you you were on porn this week. Looked at some girl walking by in an outfit and went, whoop, yeah, same thing. Every one of us is no good. And the Ten Commandments points us to us. Because we can't even keep those. 
We can't even, and so for us to say we're good people is a mistake. For us to say that is to realize that we don't have a life without Christ. We, we have to live with him. And Ten Commandments and being a good person doesn't cut it. I love asking people if they've ever stolen anything. They'll go, oh, I've never stolen anything. I'm like, never? Even when you're a kid and you went by the candy spot and you took that one red sour ball you weren't supposed to take and you don't, like, huh? Or some of us adults that, I'm just testing the grapes. I'm just testing the grapes, that's all. That's still stealing, right? I think every one of us has bared false witness, especially if you have a driver's license. And they ask your weight. Yeah, it's all about, I don't know what he's talking about. I'm totally hosed. They ask for a hair color. I go, is there an option, right? See, these are the things. We're not good people. We mess up daily. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are condemned to die and go to hell and live eternity without Jesus. Flat, truth. Don't like it? Too bad. Talk to Jesus. Because if you read on, and it says in Romans 8, verses 1, it says, so there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. People say, well, you know, there's other people, they're nice, and they have nice things, and they do, yeah, well, you know what, if they don't know Jesus, that don't cut it. Like I said, if you want to argue about it, go to Jesus. Because he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you want to talk about Christianity being narrow-minded, Jesus started that. It's not about options. So I want you to realize that each and every one of us has been in this chair or is in this chair. I was in this chair, 21 years of age. I can, I can take you to my mother's house, into the basement, where, and I can show you the spot where I got down on my knees and said, God, I am jacked up. I cannot do life on my own anymore. I need you to take control. I need you to run things. I need, I need to realize that you're God and I'm not. I, 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 that was a day. My life changed. Did it change perfectly the next day? Did I go, praise Jesus, I need to go to church. No, because being a Christian is hard. Being a follower of Christ is hard. But if you're living a life without Jesus, then you're condemned. Okay, now, if, you're, if you put your faith and trust in Christ, then most likely you're in one of these chairs. And the next chair would be this, convenience. I love convenience. I'll be honest, I love convenience. I have one of those one-cup coffee makers. They're called the Keurig, where you put the little pot in. We saw someone else, and we were sinning. We coveted, and so we w- went and bought another one. We was like, oh, praise, that's beautiful. You know, my wife's like, I must have. You know, so, and of course I was going, it's of God, you know, because coffee's a church, Christian crack. All right, so. You'll get that one later. It's okay. So, um, so we bought it, and I love it. You put the little thing in there. You start it. You get your coffee real quick. No mess. Kids can do coffee. Can do coffee. <laughs> they do too. <laughs> um, hot chocolate. No mess. Tea. All those kinds. Love it. Love convenience. Love GPS. GPS is awesome. I wish I could get one mounted on my motorcycle. Because I, I, you know, I want to ride my motorcycle places, but I don't know, you know, so the GPS, it, you know, it, I wish you could like run a thing to your ear if you're riding a motorcycle so the person could talk to you. You need to take a left turn. Yes, dear. Okay, you know, those kind of things. <laughs> Although sometimes you got to admit, when the, when the satellite's not hooked up, doesn't it drive you nuts? Reacquiring, reacquiring, reacquiring. And if you miss the turn, must turn around. Must, I'm like, shut up, I know, you know. 
But, but it's great. Convenience is great. You have that? I, I have one of those things. I have, a, I have a Blackberry, or also known as a Crackberry, okay? I have one of those. I love the convenience of it. Check my email. I, that's why I don't have an iPhone. If I had an iPhone, I wouldn't talk to anybody. I'm sure there would be an app for that. Must have conversation. Oh, there's an app for that. You know, I just, I, I don't have it because I know I would, I love convenience, but the only problem is most of us bring convenience when it comes to following Jesus. Jesus leads to the cross. The heart leads to convenience. The heart leads, Jesus says, you know, pick up your cross. He, he, he talks about life being difficult. He talks about the choices that we need to make as we follow him. I mean, Convenience is not a bad thing, but when it comes to our life with Christ, we need to realize that, you know what, convenience is not the thing that comes with following him. And most people, I'll I'll give you an example, there are some people that love convenience most and they're single people. They're single people. Some of you are going, I'm single. (laughs) Listen to this one, okay? This is what happens when a young man or a young woman finds someone that they feel like they're in love with, and that person's not a Christian, but you know what, we're going to date, and I'm going to date that young man, and I'm going to love him, and he's going to come to know Jesus. <laughs> no, that's usually not what happens. Usually what happens is you start dating so much that you leave the church, and now he's your focus, and you've realized he's your God, and Jesus isn't your God anymore. It sucks, doesn't it? But then the single people, they come back with this comment. I love it. But I'm just following my heart. When the guy leaves his wife for the younger model, I'm just following my heart. You know, what, you know what the Bible says about your heart? Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says this. The human heart is the most deceitful and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Go ahead. You follow your heart. You see where that leads. You see where it goes. See, I think parents, we do the same thing. I love my kids. I want what's best for my kids. So I'm going to let them go play soccer and baseball every Sunday instead of go to church. And then in 10 years when my kids are jacked up, I'm going to go back to the church and go, help me. Now I've been doing student ministry for 16 years. That has not changed. See, because mom and dad think scoring a goal and throwing a curveball is more important than Jesus. By the way, I, re- I want you to realize most of your kids are never going to go pro. I just want you to realize that. Uh, get dads that are trying to relive the glory days, get it into your mind now. Little Bobby that's out in the corner picking his nose when the pop fly comes up is not going to be in the majors. Okay? But we, we mentor our kids in the idea that that's more important than Jesus. See, I, had, I have kids. I've had to make that decision. In fact, I had someone ask me, you mean your son's not going to the football camp? I said, no, we got church. That comes first. At one point in time, all three of our kids were playing a sport. I came to my wife. I looked at my kids. I said, this will never happen again. But if I follow my heart, I want to be a daddy. I want to love my kids. I want to, I want to take care of them, right? I want the, what's best for them. You know what's best for them? Jesus. But yet 10 years down the road, you're going to bring me your kids, and you're going to say, oh, God, Scott, what are you going to do? How can you help me? They're doing drugs. They're running all over the place. Well, I bet you he throws a good curveball. <laughs> Score a couple of goals. See, that's the idea. When we follow our heart, it's not what God wants for us. We are wicked people. We're messed up people. And when convenience comes in, then we realize convenience is not what God wants. Most of the time, if you read through the, the New Testament, they were talking about being beat up, thrown in jail, or murdered. But we want Jesus to walk around and go, but we love everybody. It's convenient that way, but not speak the truth. You know, I I also see it in church where parents, 
whose kids love church, love the children's ministry, love the student ministry, leave the church because they're uh, upset because they don't like the music. Or, or they don't like that there's not certain things in the church. I want you to realize nowhere in the Bible does it say if you're busy, you're godly. It doesn't work that way. But we want convenience. We want the church to do it for us. Well, you don't have a Bible study when I can go. Do you have a Bible? Do you live in a home where there's a Bible? You can study the Bible on your own. I'll tell you like I tell my kids. I'm not here to hold your hand. I love people. Well, you don't have a Bible study. That, you, know, uh, you, you don't go deep enough. You can figure it out yourself, right? If you got questions, come back. We'll work on the questions. We'll walk you through it. But you know what? God gave you a brain. Why don't you flip and use it? Oh, no. I can't go to this church. They don't do enough. Like we're the YMCA for Jesus. Come on. It's, it's about convenience because you don't want to have to do it on your own. Because that means you really have to look at Jesus and go, am I following him out of convenience or am I following, out of him, following him because I love him and I, and I, I want to get to know him more and I want to be in a deeper relationship so that other people can know about him. Because in the Bible, there's a story of a guy by the name of Demas. Demas was working with the disciples. And if you follow, uh, follow this story in chronological order through the New Testament, Colossians 4.14 says, Dear Dr. Luke, send his greetings and so does Demas. Okay, Demas is with Luke. He's like, hey, great. Demas is working. Philemon 1, 23 and 24. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. So does Mark and that guy. And then Demas. <laughs> I murder it every time. You know, Demas and Luke, my co-workers. Now something happens. You know what happens? Life as a follower of Christ does not become convenient. So this is what happens in 2 Timothy. Please come as soon as you can because Demas has deserted me. Because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Convenient Christians want a convenient Jesus. He doesn't work that way. We can't pop our cup of Jesus into the Keurig coffee maker, slap it down and push a button and expect everything to change. Convenient people live in a convenient life and they want to follow a convenient Jesus and he doesn't work that way. Demas bailed on him. Now, this is the third person. The third person is this. They live a life of just contribution. Okay? They, they think that their contribution to Jesus is enough. These are the people, by the way, that are late to church every Sunday. And they think, well, at least I showed up. And I'm sure God's going, whew, glad they made it. I was worried right? These are the people that think because they give their tithes and offerings that they can tell the church what to do. Contribution. These are the people that serve once a month, but when they're asked to tell other people about their relationship or about, about their church, won't do that because their once a month serving is really all they've got. In fact, if you were to ask them to talk to their friends, they'd say, oh, I can't do that. In fact, I have a friend. I have a pastor friend who had this conversation with a guy, and he asked the guy, he says, dude, we know so-and-so. We're both working out at the gym together. Let's talk to him about coming to know Christ. Let's talk to him about coming to church. And the guy goes, oh, no, no, I can't do that. pastor looked at him. He says, why can't you do that? He goes, we're drinking buddies on the weekend. He says, he's seen me hammered too many times. 
That's a person that's living a life of contribution. See, that person, that person is a person that says, you know what? I just want to be sorry for my sin, but I don't want to repent from it. I gave my contribution. These are the people that think that God is something that they buy. These are the same people that are late to church, but they're not late to a football game. Isn't it amazing how if we have a son or daughter that's sick, we go, oh, they're sick, we can't go to church. But if you've got tickets to a Raiders game, you're painting that kid up in silver and black, and you're telling him, you better be bleeding out your eyeballs because we are not missing this game. I bought tickets. But we don't do that for church, do we? See, I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to understand as I've walked through this, so I realize each and every one of us is going, oh, man, that's kind of hard. That, that's kind of rough. I can't believe you're saying those kind of things. I may have to send you an email and complain about it. I won't read it. There's a wonderful thing on a computer called delete. Or I'll read it and share it with someone and make fun of you, one or the other. <laughs> because this is the thing. I really want you to think about this. Anything that is coming today is from the word of God. Jesus spoke about it. Jesus laid it out for us. Jesus is the one that we are to, to follow. Because I want you to realize your kids, your wife, your husband, your family are not yours. They're on loan. You can't buy them. I love my wife and kids. My kids are on loan. My wife is on loan. I would do anything for them. And part of that means I've got to let them realize that Jesus is theirs. I, I talk to my kids about quiet times. I talk to them about reading the Bible. And sometimes they're like, yeah, Dad, I read the, you know, okay, leave me alone. You know. But this is the thing. Sometimes you go and ask my kids that. Don't ask my kids that. That's none of your flipping business. Just because I work at the church doesn't mean you get to go check on my kids. Now, I don't do that with your kids. And I work with them every day. And I've seen what they do. They talk to me. They tell me about you. Do we need to have a conversation? Some of you are going, I don't, what, what is he talking to my kids? No, 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 no. Yeah. yeah, well, they're the ones that probably come to me and say, you know, mom and dad are still fighting. They come to church and they smile a lot. Mom raises her hands while she sings. She's so godly. But when she comes home, she beats the crap out of me. Contribution. Understand the difference? We live in a world that says everything should be convenient. Jesus said everything points to the cross. We live in a world that says if you pay your dues, if you make a contribution, then your life's going to be okay. These are the people that just realize their 401k is now a 101k and realize that the money that they have is not their own, that God can give and take away anytime he wants to. I know some of you are going, oh, he's talking about money. Yeah, so did Jesus. Did you know Jesus talked about money more than he did heaven? Because he knows how many of you really think that is God. Don't like it? I had to deal with it myself. See, can I give to this, or do I want a nice meal at this restaurant? Well, what would be convenient? I'll give later. See, God doesn't want the leftovers. This is what a contribution person does. They give the leftovers. God wants first. God wants first. He wants your family. He wants your marriage. He wants your job. You know what? He asks for your money, but he don't need it. 
It's not like God went and saw the economy and went, oh, didn't see that one coming. I am so nervous, right? See God doing that one? You know, I don't even watch the news anymore. I get depressed. I can't watch the news. It's irritating to me. Everything is so horrible. You know, for me, I turn around and I look at my wife and my kids and go, not really. See, God doesn't want people that just think their contributions can make it. I love people that think when they give money to the church, they can tell the church what to do. You know, God has a reason he set up his leadership the way they are. God has called us to lead. God has called us to walk through things. Now, we are going to be held accountable to God. In fact, I was talking to my wife about that this morning. I am, as a pastor, as each one of the leaders of this church, we are held to a different accountability than you because of what we do. So I want you to realize that my job, I look at my job and I ask, okay, God, what do you want from me? I really don't care what you think. Because at the end of my life, I'm not going to stand before you. I'm going to stand before God. And you want want to know something really important? I worry more about what my wife and kids think than someone who comes to the church and goes, oh, he was mean. He offended me. Like I said, send me the emails. I have a great delete box. I know how to empty that one too. See, God, God, God doesn't want our contributions. God doesn't ask us to be convenient. He wants us to follow him. And in fact, it says in Luke chapter 9, Verse 23 and 24, it says, Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must put aside your selfish ambition. Shoulder your cross daily and follow me. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find true life. The question I have is, are you carrying your cross? I'll be honest, I'm weird. I have a cross at my house. I've used it for different things with student ministry. It's made out of cedar wood. It weighs about 75, 80 pounds. I'll put it together, and every once in a while, I'll pick that up. The older I've gotten, the more I've realized how much that hurts. When I was younger, I was like, hey, that ain't nothing. I'm almost 40. I'm like, dang, what happened? <laughs> My wife goes, hmm, 40. <laughs> we'll pray about that one. But... um. But this is the thing you need to realize. Jesus said you need to pick up your cross, shoulder your cross daily and follow me. I read this quote this week by Leonard Ravenhill. It says this, if Jesus had preached the same message that ministers preach today, he would have never been crucified. So I want you to realize my goal is for you to understand how much God loves you, how much he cares for you. And also how much he sacrificed for you. He gave up his son. I have a son. I would not let my son die for one of you. I'm just, I'll be real. Some of you are going, oh, that's mean. No, that's true. I mean, some of you in this room are going, oh, I'd let my son die. Liar. You kidding me? You, my son, in a boat. I'm going for my son. I'm going for my son. I love my, he's my son. The last one is crucified. Each one of us is sitting in one of these chairs. Each one of us has to realize we have in our life one of these words. The last one is crucified. Jesus was crucified for you. Jesus gave up his life for you. Jesus died on a cross so that you might have life. You know what? It is amazing to me how we get more excited about a sports team than we do church. And in fact, if you're excited about a sports team, you're called a fan. If you're excited about Jesus, you're called a religious nut. 
And if you do it as a group, you're called a cult. Sign me up. I'm a religious nut. Because you don't want to know why? Because I know what it like, felt like to be in that chair. I know what it felt like. I now know what it feels like to have this in my life. A crucified Savior who gave up his life for me. See, Jesus wants people that are living a crucified life. He wants us to be followers of him. He wants us to realize there are people out there that don't know him. Look what it says in Galatians 2.20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You want to realize something? Dead people don't have rights. Dead people don't. If you are living a crucified life, you don't have the right to complain. You don't have the right to say, not today, I don't want to share Jesus with someone. Now, the people that do that are over here. They complain a lot. They whine a lot. When I had my kids in Arizona, I used to, on my cell phone, I had this symbol, the red you know, symbol with the circle and the slash on it, and behind it was the words, no whining. This is no joke. We would be sitting at the kitchen table. I'd just flip my phone open. My daughters would go, what'd that say? I'm like, read it. No whining. They're like, oh, that's mean. <laughs> no whining. See, I, I think sometimes I, I, I wish God you know, had this ability to flip open his phone and go, No whining. No whining. Because crucified people care more about what Jesus is doing in them than what the church is doing for them. You understand that? This is about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This is about working within the church to seek after him. This is about us following after Jesus because Jesus is the one that modeled a crucified life. And I'm not just talking about his death on the cross. I'm talking about the night before he was crucified where he got up in the upper room and it says this in John chapter 13, verses one through five. It says, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. He knew he was gonna be crucified. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of, of his love. Notice that, the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God, and he was returning to God. I want you to stop there and think about this. Jesus knew he was from the Father. He had come to this earth to give his life as a sacrifice for us. He knew that he was going to die and go back to be with the Father. And so what does he choose to do? It says this, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured a, ba a water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. The Son of God, from God, got down on his hands and knees, took off his clothes, looked as a servant, and washed the cow and horse manure off the feet of his disciples the night before he was to be crucified. That's a crucified life. It's not a convenient life. It's not a life that gives us a simple contribution. It is a dead life to this world, to our own desires, which we know our own desires because our heart is wicked. 
is going to lead us to convenience and contribution, not to being a crucified person. The question that I have for you is this. What chair are you in? What chair are you in? Now, like I said earlier, each and every one of you sitting in this room is in one of these chairs, both physically and figuratively. You're in one of these chairs. Which chair are you in? Where are you living? Because I know some of you, especially those of you that are living in this, this, these two chairs right now, are thinking, yeah, well, Scott, mm, what chair are you in? I know what's happening. You got that judgmental attitude because you're living out of convenience. And you're like, so what chair are you in? This is the chair I strive to be in. But because of complacency and because I'm a human, I bounce between the three. But this is where I want to be. You want to know why? This is where Jesus Christ changes the world through crucified people. You want to know where the potential is? It's you getting your butt out of the chair and following Jesus. It's you being a follower, a crucified follower of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus, that's what I believe God looks at the outside of our church buildings and he looks at us sitting in the chair and he goes, oh, but they have so much potential. They have so much potential. See, if we think about the encounter that we started with Isaiah and Isaiah was standing before God and Isaiah was wrecked because of his sin. He was, con- he was, he was conflicted about who he was and he realized he had to make a statement and he looked at God and he said, I am a sinful man from a sinful race. We need to do the same thing. But if you look at it, the way it closes out is it says this in Isaiah 6, 8. It says, then I heard the Lord asking, this is Isaiah. He says, whom should I send as my messenger to my people? Who will go for us? Isaiah says, Lord, I'll go, send me. See, this is crucified people. I'll go, send me. See, I've talked to some of you because you said, well, why do you want to go start a church? Because I'm more worried about my character than my convenience and my comfort. It would be easy for me to stay and be a pastor of this church. It'd be simple. I mean, I could do it. But God has called me to go start a church, and I'm terrified. In fact, in my family, we have a word that we call terrified. Depending on what day is a different word, okay? We're terrified and we're excited at the same time, so we're terrified, right? And if you talk to my wife on one day, she's terrified. On, on that day, I'm usually excited. The day I'm terrified, she's usually excited. Praise God, we have that balance. We show up both on a day we're terrified, things are in trouble. But, but God has called us to live. Now, I'm not, not, some of you are going, oh my goodness, that means I've got to go to Africa for the rest of my life and be a missionary. No, no, that's, that's not it, okay? Some pe- automatically, when we say live a crucified life following after Jesus, people think, I've got to go be a missionary. Yeah, you do, in your flipping office, in your school, with your neighbors. That's a crucified life. That's the people that God wants to use. What chair are you in? What chair are you in? Because each and every one of us is sitting in this chair. And I know that someone sitting in here, maybe for the very first time, is thinking, I I don't want to be here. You know what? Neither do I. Neither does the friend that invited you here. He said, that's what crucified people do. They invite the condemned people to come find out about Jesus It's the statement that I read this last week. We're just a couple of beggars and we're just pointing each other to where the food is. That's Jesus. 
So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, bow your head. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.